morning, Mosaic Church. How are we doing? Look at this full room. Mosaic kids, I want to dismiss you. Bye, Lila. Uh, listen, I know if you look behind you, we have a full room, and this is such a blessing to be able to stand up here with that gift that Stephen just gave me to listen to the voices of this congregation as they sang those words was such a gift for me. Listen, if you, uh, if you could help the folks that are standing in the back by scooting in and, and potentially scooting up and filling the gaps, we've got a lot of folks that are standing out in the back, and I love that because this is a full room. We have not gotten to do this since last or March of 2020, to gather together as one body in, in a room that just feels, feels so full. And so I'm, my heart is full this morning to be able to preach to you. My name is Brian Plantis. I'm one of the elders here at Mosaic, and it's a blessing for me to be able to preach from God's Word uh, with you this morning. Uh, every so often, Kyle Worley, our lead teaching pastor, takes a step away from the pulpit and gives the opportunity to the other elders of Mosaic to be able to preach. And so once or twice a year, I get this opportunity to, to come in front of you and, and be able to preach from God's Word. And I'll tell you, it is, it is not without some nerves and with some anxiety leading up to a Sunday morning that uh, I prepare and I have to prepare my heart. It is, this, this is a weighty thing to be able to stand up and, and, and hold God's word uh, in a way that it is um, being applied to the life of the congregation. And so I'm privileged and I hope that we are privileged as a body that we get to hear from various voices. Um, you know, the, the, knowing this week that I was preaching, I was sharing with some friends of ours, Sean and Tristan Mann, this week, that I'd be, I was a little nervous leading up to today. Tristan looked at me, she kindly said, well, hey, Brian, if, if you're nervous, just look out the crowd and imagine everybody in pajamas. And so this is a great morning that I don't have to imagine that, that you guys are all uh, in, in various flannel this morning. And so it's great that uh, you have calmed my nerves. Thank you very much. Lauren, Lauren Worley, in fact, told my wife this week that if... Um, it, that Kyle had selected me to preach on Pajama Sunday because uh, I would likely be the only pastor to stand up in front of you and preach in pajamas. So, Lauren, I'm sorry to disappoint. Uh, it didn't happen. I think maybe John McHale or Jeff Shelfo would be the likely candidates for that uh, next, next year. But today we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And so if you'll open your Bibles there as we continue to worship our Lord through the preaching of his word. Now, Christmas season is upon us. There's no doubting that. You can drive the streets of Richardson and see that on every corner where you go. If you go down to the uh, corner of Arapahoe in 75, you'll see that Santa's Village is set up there. And it's, a, it's great to be able to see the lit Christmas trees uh, that, that are, that are uh, wrapped with lights. I love driving your neighborhoods and seeing your houses lit up with lights and the Christmas trees and the front windows. Um, I love my house during Advent. Um, every, when you walk into my house during Advent, every room is filled with a reminder that Christmas is coming. Uh, my wife, Lauren, is a wonderful decorator. You would see that in any season you walk into our house, that uh, her, her gift is on display, right? There's different scenes uh, throughout every season where we might have a, a decoration that represents the fall or the spring. Um, but this is especially true during the Christmas season. Um, so decorating is not my forte. If, if you give me decorating, I, that is not my gift. But if, if, uh, if Lauren gives me the opportunity to participate, it's really to actually take the 22 boxes out from our attic. That, and it is 22 boxes. I, and, and, and 
in our house, we have five Christmas trees. Um, so when we get all the Christmas trees down, my responsibility at the house is to actually set up the tree and fluff each tree while I'm listening to Christmas music. And it's my joy to do that. Um, and, and, and then after that, Lauren dismisses me. But one of my favorite traditions every year uh, is, is something that we do in our household. It's called our picture tree. And our picture tree here, I don't know how well you can see it, but every Thanksgiving, we print out about 150 pictures that represent the past year, times uh, that we've spent with our friends or our family, uh, trips that we've been on, uh, memories that we've made. And we print these all off and we put them on our tree for display. And these, these pictures tell a story of the last year. And we've been doing this for 15 years of our marriage. And so we have a box that's filled with these, these pictures. And these pictures, if you go back through them, they tell the story of our marriage. I, I look at the Gospels kind of like our picture tree. Each of the Gospels gives us many pictures that are snapshots of Jesus' life. Each of the Gospels gives us a different account about the narrative that tells a beautiful story about Jesus. And here in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we have several scenes that are unique only to this Gospel. When when you took a picture off of my picture tree, you could ask me, Brian, why, why was that particular picture included? And oftentimes when I'm approaching Scripture, I'll ask God, why, why God was this particular passage chosen to be uh, in this gospel or in this, in, in this letter? And so our Scripture reading today is from Luke 1, 46 through 56. It's Mary's Magnificat. It's a beautiful song of Mary that praises God for the fulfilling of his promises. But before we dig into that, I want to provide some context for us. You see, Luke is the writer of two books in the New Testament, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. We know from Paul and Timothy's letters that Luke is a friend and a co-laborer in ministry with Paul. He is a physician. He is an evangelist. He's a Gentile. Uh, He's actually the only Gentile that actually authored a book in Scripture. We see in Luke 1, 1 through 4, that he, in his introduction, that he's writing to the most excellent Theophilus. Theophilus is a name in Greek that means friend of God. And while there are various opinions on who Theophilus is, theologians would widely agree that Theophilus is likely an individual of high estate, someone with a position of high regard, someone like a, a Roman official or a lawyer or possibly uh, an esteemed uh, high priest, the Sadducee high priest. And, and because Luke is writing to this Theophilus, um, we have to understand why, why would he be writing. Luke, Luke says that he is writing to provide an eyewitness account for Theophilus so that he can be certain of the things that he has been taught. One of the themes throughout Luke's gospel is a reminder that God blesses the humble estate of man and he despises the rich and the mighty and the proud. This theme would serve as a warning and an exhortation to a man in a position like Theophilus. It, to be humble is to be countercultural. It's to make less of yourself and it's to bring others up. It's to live in a way that isn't self-promoting, to live a life that's dependent on God. We see this throughout Luke's gospel in the humble and lowly means from which Jesus was born. 
We see this in the life of John the Baptist. We see this in the way that Jesus lived a humble life. We see this in the people that he hung out with. We see this in the way that he called his disciples. It's very evident that um, Luke is trying to draw distinctions between an almighty God and the humble, lowly estate of man that God blesses. And so when we see that throughout Luke, we should be paying attention to those passages. The next thing to see is that Mary's Magnificate is included as a sequence of five praise-filled songs surrounding the birth of Jesus. We have the song of Elizabeth that gives praise for Mary and the fruit of her womb when she visits, uh, when she visits Elizabeth. We have Mary's Magnificate, which we'll spend a lot of time in today. We have the song of Zechariah that gives praise for the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham for the deliverance of his people. We have the glory excelsius. I don't know if I said that right, but uh, the song of the angels that sing on Christmas Eve, glory to God in the highest and peace to his people on earth. The song of Simeon, when Jesus is presented as a baby in the temple to give praise where, where Simeon gives praise for the salvation that has been prepared in Jesus for all peoples, both Jews and Gentiles alike. And so this progression of songs is an important reason to see why Luke has specifically inclu included Mary's Magnificate into this gospel. And so what I want to do, I want to continue in Luke before we get to the Magnificate so that we can continue to see the snapshots that lead us up into our, our passage today. So it, we covered the, 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 begin, or the opening, but in Luke 5, or 1, verse 5 through 25, we see that the angel Gabriel is appearing to Zechariah in the temple for the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, Zechariah is a priest of the tribe of, Aaron, or of, of the sons of Aaron, and he would have had the occasional opportunity to go into the temple for the holy ordinances, like the burning of incense. And Zechariah is doing that on this day, and he's approached by the angel Gabriel, who tells him that he and Elizabeth would be given a son to be named John. Zechariah questions the angel with disbelief. Uh, he, he doesn't believe them because they're, they're old, they're advanced in years, the gospel would say, and that, um, that Elizabeth was, to this point, barren. She was not able to have kids. And so because of his disbelief, Gabriel uh, makes him deaf and mute. He was not able to hear, he was not able to speak, and he would be this way until his son was born. And we see that Elizabeth is blessed with this child. And for five months, the scriptures say that she went in hiding into her home. And so this brings us now about six months later in verse uh, 26 through 38. The angel Gabriel is also sent to Mary, a young virgin girl, likely somewhere between 13 and 15 years old, to herald the good news that she would give birth to a child by the Holy Spirit who would be the son of of God. This, the unbelief of, uh, that, that Zechariah as an experienced priest is contrasted here with the humble, lowly peasant girl Mary who displays just great trust in the Lord. Again, these things that Luke is highlighting for us as, as uh, he's trying to bring attention to the humble way in which Mary lived. And then Gabriel gives Mary some more news. And behold, he tells her in verse 36, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month where she, uh, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. So Mary is hit with all this joyful, overwhelming news. And what does she do next? 
in verse 39, Luke tells us that Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So with haste, Mary gathers her things, and she goes on this week-long journey across uh, from Nazareth up to the hills of Judah um, to, the, to, to likely what's called the, uh, what is known to be the city of Hebron, which was allotted to the priestly descendants of Aaron, which was likely the home for Zechariah. And this would be about a 100 to 120-mile trip by road, and so we can derive a few things from this passage. No matter how close or distant a blood relative uh, Mary was to Elizabeth, we can see that they're close enough in relationship that Mary would expect to be welcomed into the home of Elizabeth. Um, that, that she's visiting her and going on this long journey with the expectation that she's going to remain with them while Elizabeth is pregnant for the next three months, uh, Luke 1.56 would tell us. Mary also is not yet married. She's betrothed to Joseph, but she is a young Jewish girl of humble estate. If she had the foreknowledge that she was pregnant, it was best for her to go to be with a relative that was also pregnant to spend that time with one another, caring for one another's needs. And last, I imagine that the presence of a young, vibrant Mary would be a welcomed presence in the house of Elizabeth who is living with her deaf and mute husband um, after being struck with unbelief, right? That, that she would be a welcome presence because she's been in hiding for the last six months. So Mary arrives at the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth after a long journey, and in Luke 1.41, we see her response. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come and see me? Elizabeth sings praises to God and offers a blessing over Mary. Elizabeth had received a prophetic word that Mary carried a gift in her womb that was worthy of praise. She was being greeted by the mother of her Lord. What a gift! that she would be in such majesty. And Elizabeth, the much older wife and relative to Mary, married to a priest, is contrasted here by a young, unmarried, pregnant peasant girl from from Nazareth, from humble means, and yet Mary is the one that gets the praise and is shown the honor. Upon hearing this prophetic response from Elizabeth, Mary, too, is filled with the Holy Spirit And she responds to Elizabeth's song with an echo of her own. So we come to our passage today, Luke 1, 46 through 56, Mary's Magnificat, a beautiful song of praise from Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things, for me, and holy is his name. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So one of the Advent calendars that we are using this year is a series of 25 scripture verses. Uh, These 25 scripture verses give us something that we can work with our children to memorize each day. And we're working with our kids to uh, attempt to memorize 25 verses throughout Advent. And, And this is important for our family discipleship as we are trying to write God's word on their hearts so that they can be reminded in everyday life of the, the, the promises that scripture would have. And as we look at this particular passage, um, we see that Mary is full of God's scripture. Mary would have been a young Jewish girl that would have studied these scriptures and put them to memory, the songs and the hymns that we find through the Old Testament. For example, there are several similarities that we find between Mary's Magnificat and 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, which is the song of Hannah, which Hannah sang after her son Samuel was born as a gift and an answer to prayer. Like Hannah's song, Mary's song begins with reverence and praise for God. Mary begins her song exclaiming, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now this is not intended to draw a distinction between soul and spirit. Rather, this is Hebrew poetic parallelism, where the first and second lines essentially mean the same thing. And so Mary is saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. Again, she says, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Soul and spirit being one and the same. Magnifying and rejoicing being one and the same, Lord and God my Savior being one and the same. And Mary uses the word Savior here. And this is an important call out that Mary professes God as her Savior. In Scripture, Savior could be used as a reference to God sparing his people from any calamity. Rather than our common usage in the church, right, that, that, uh, sal- or that Savior means the ultimate salvation from our sin. Now, Mary, in verse 49, is praising God for rescuing her from being forgotten in the insignificance of her humble estate as a peasant girl from Nazareth, as now she's going to be remembered for all generations to come who would call her blessed with the highest calling to have ever existed for a woman in history to carry the Son of God. So while Mary's usage of Savior isn't necessarily a profession of ultimate salvation, Isn't it a beautiful thing to see the foreshadowing that God's ultimate salvation from sin would be found in the baby that Mary carries? The baby that she carries would not only be her son, but through faith would also be her savior. And now she's going to be remembered for generation to generation of bringing that savior into the world. And this Advent series, we are spending time focusing on God's promises. God's promised presence for his promised people and his promised places for his promised purposes. And today we look upon Mary's song as a reflection of God's fulfilled promises to generations of people to be saved through the son that she carries. Now Mary continues, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. There's three key characteristics here that Mary is praising. God is mighty, God is holy, and God is merciful. 
the Almighty God whose power created the world is the same power that gave Mary this child. When Gabriel came to, to, to Mary to foretell the birth of Jesus, she asked him in Luke 1.34, how will this be if I'm a virgin, since I'm a virgin? And the, answer, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, for nothing will be impossible with God. So yes, God is mighty in his power, but he is also holy. He is the holiest of holy. We have a God who has absolute moral purity, who knows no sin and cannot be associated with it. And because of his absolute holiness, there must be absolute separation between a holy and perfect God and a fallen sinful man. And while God could use his just power to strike down the wicked sinful generations that stem from Adam through the fall, instead, he, through his endless holiness, he chooses to have mercy on us. God is merciful. His mercy is upon those who fear him. We are a broken and fallen people, but we have been granted access to the Father through the Son that he has sent, God incarnate as a baby in his mother's womb who would live a perfect life, yet die a death for a sinner on the cross. A death that was intended for us, yet God saved us. Kyle said it last week, that God's grace and mercy is like the tireless waves of the ocean that crash over and over and over again on the shores of his weary people. Those who fear him, those who believe in his name and his power and his holiness and his mercy will be adopted as sons and daughters born again into a new life as his promised people. And Mary is giving praise to God here in her song as she recognizes that the mercy that God has shown for her and his people will span a generation to generation, from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to David to Mary to Peter to Paul to you and me. Amen. What a gift that we are given in the Son of God. After Mary rejoices in these characteristics of God, she goes on to marvel at what God has done. He has shown strength with his arm, she says. Mary personifies God's power with a picture of a mighty arm, just as the law and the prophets and the psalmists had done throughout all of the Old Testament scriptures to demonstrate God's power and his mercy. We see in several passages through the Old Testament, Exodus 6.6, I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great acts of judgment. Job 35.9, they call for help because of the arm of the mighty. Psalm 77.15, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Psalm 89.10, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And Mary, with a heart full of these scriptures, goes on to explain how God with his mighty arm has shown his strength. She says, he has scattered the proud in, his, in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Throughout all of scripture, one consistent theme can be seen. That the Lord God reigns on his heavenly throne. And throughout generations of judges and kings and rulers, and authorities, and governments. God has remained on that throne as our sovereign king. 
He delivered his people out of Egypt from the tyranny of from, from the tyranny of Pharaoh. He helped Joshua defeat 31 kings to deliver the promised land. He saved his faithful followers from the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. And here, Mary, a lowly peasant girl from Nazareth, is being blessed by God with the gift of playing a part in ushering in the kingdom of God on earth. A kingdom which exalts those of humble estate like Mary while scattering the proud and bringing down the mighty from their thrones. A God that fills the hungry with good things, while the rich are sent away empty. And as Mary concludes, she points to the promises throughout all of the Old Testament that would be fulfilled by this king. She sings, He has helped his servant Israel in the remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary, with all of Israel, celebrates what God would do through the coming of this son, recognizing that the gift of God was this pinnacle of God's mercy after generations and generations of waiting for the advent of the king. And so our passage closes, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So what does this mean for us? As I've thought Uh, and prayed about these scriptures over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've asked God, what what does he have to apply from these scriptures to me, to my heart? And what does he have to apply to the people of Mosaic Church? And so, as I prayed, God's encouraged me in this. So often, I find that I'm like the proud and the mighty and the rich, trying to take... uh, just, just make so much of myself, being self-dependent, working so hard to prove myself and my worth. And in doing so, I deny my dependency for God and my need for a Savior. It's easy for us in Richardson to try to go at our life on our own. When I do, I can usually find myself in this spiral of shame because I can never live up to my own standards. I can never live up to the standards that other people would have of me. And I certainly can't live up to the standards that God would have of me. Do you, do you experience this? Do you find yourself in this place ever where You're just pursuing a life that strives to have nothing left because we want to provide it all for ourselves. Mary reflects what I want to become, my hope for what we become as a church. Throughout all the scripture, God blesses those that are humble and lowly, those who have a deep longing and dependency on the gifts that only God can give, those who acknowledge that they have a need for their Savior And they look to God to provide where they are lacking. And Mary, in her humility and grace, is a great picture of this for us. A picture of God's promised people, the generations past, present, and future, that long for a coming Savior. When we read the Christmas story, I pray that we are overwhelmed with gratitude about what God has done for us. And when we wait in this Advent season for Christmas, I hope that we slow ourselves down 
enough to not rush just towards another holiday, but that we get time to reflect on, and, on our dependency on our coming Savior who delights in this humble estate of his people. Maranatha, Lord, would you come? Let's pray. God, I thank you uh, for this morning. I thank you for Mary's beautiful song that reminds us that you have blessed the humble and lowly estate of the people of generations, of generations that um, have come and been faithful to love you. God, I pray for Mosaic Church that we would slow ourselves down this Advent season, that we would come to you um, just to understand and recognize our dependency that we have on you, Lord, our Savior, that you would give us yourself more and more every day, and that you would bless the people of Mosaic Church. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.